types of people in this world. There's winners and, and there's losers. losers. And just so that we're clear, every time we step on this field, our goal is to be a winner. And if your dad has said, oh, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, just as long as you have fun, well, I hate to say it, your dad's a loser. <laughs> I shouldn't think that's so funny, but I do. Welcome, everybody. This is Clint Locklear with Trapping Radio. Uh, we're continuing on with a series that I'm starting to think is going to last for a long time. Last week, we talked about started beaver kind of getting back to the basics uh without getting too crazy with it and i didn't i didn't even make it past traps so we're going to continue that um and we're going to continue with the beaver for the simple reason that i want to like i've said before i have a tendency and i know this and my wife reminds me of this a lot that um I want to go to the extreme of stuff. That's just my personality. So when I'm talking about beaver or coons or coyotes or anything like that, that seems to be where I go. So guys, um, <clears throat> I don't think you're going to find what I consider uh, basic beaver trapping all that basic because there's a lot of knowledge and there is a lot of detail and there's a lot of experience based behind what I'm saying. And I am not saying that I know it all. And I'm not saying that I'm the best beaver trapper there ever was. I do have some really big numbers backing up what I've done in my life when it comes to beaver. I pretty much did beaver for probably six years of my life. Uh, as fast, as hard, and as many as I could go. Over a thousand, several years. Over 700. Uh, 500 was a bad year. So I do know a little bit about beaver, and I've trapped beaver in probably 10, 12 different states. So uh, the different training and all that. So like I said last time, we talked a lot about body grips, which once I got into that subject, my brain started rolling. Uh, there was just stuff that I thought was important. So we continued to talk about it, and we didn't even catch a beaver. Before we get into tonight's show, I want to thank our sponsors. We have some of the best sponsors that you're going to find. You're going to find all these guys I'm getting ready to mention have quality companies that have really good customer service that support Trapping Radio. I mean, I mean, they physically pay for Trapping Radio, so I've got money to pay server cost every month because it's a house payment. And um, without them... Sometimes, just because of life, it would be easier for me not to do the show because you don't feel like uh, someone's, you know, you feel responsible for someone that's paid to be a sponsorship. So uh, they really help. They help pay uh, because with, without without them, the, it'd be hard to justify with the size of the audience, Trapping Radio, uh, the cost of doing this uh, just for fun. So keep that in mind when you're looking to buy products, when you're looking at things to um, equipment or lures or baits or snares or traps, uh, calls, um, all kind of different things that us outdoorsmen use. Think about our sponsors because they support something that if you enjoy, it, it's just the right thing to do to support them back. We have F&T Fur Harvesters, everything you need for Trapping, hunting with hounds, and predator calling. We have Oki Cable and Trap, which has a full line of trapping supplies. And all these are down in the show notes. You can hit with a link. We have Funky Trap Tags and Supplies, which is also the sponsor of Manstrong. And we have Dunlap Lures, which Jeff makes some really, really good lures. And it, it's lure that you can trust. And it's it's... It, like I said, the trust is the big thing to me when it comes to lures. So those are the guys that help support Trapping Radio. Now, before we get into night show, I just want to talk a little bit about something. Last week, I was in Mexico. Uh, I appreciate Chip doing the show. I was down there. Cindy has torn her meniscus and her ACL. And we went down to do stem cells. And we, we can't get the same service here in the state because of the FDA, which I'm not going to get into. And um, 
it was just really interesting being down there. And maybe this is something I should have put on Man Strong. I don't know. But it was just something that I, there was a, a, a unique experience that I went through just with men dealing with men or men dealing with boys, I guess is a way to put this. So this was not a normal vacation like we would take because every day she's she was taking IVs and stem cells through IVs and vitamins and taking blood work and all this till it led up to actually getting the stem cells, which we hope and we won't know for about six months how well this actually worked. So I'm down there and I'm like, I've got to have something to do while she's at the doctor. I just can't lay around the pool all day because I don't have hair, but I'd have pulled out what little bit, it probably appeared, pulled my beard out. So I went down and I found this local gym and um, I went in there and it was just an interesting thing to see how different people react to different things. Now, um, I'm fairly large person, if you've never been around me, um, fairly muscular. And I went to this gym and, his, you know, Hispanics or Mexicans or whatever you want to call them, they're smaller people. <clears throat> but I can tell you, I have yet to be in a gym in all my life that had more work ethic than this gym did. I'm telling you, these dudes worked and it was very contagious is a good word. You know, and I think that brings up a lot. If if you're if you're going to go with a partner on trapping, you need to find somebody. Your goal should be to find somebody that's going to work harder than you, that you have to push yourself to keep up or even beat as far as physical effort. And watching those guys down there, they were crushing it. Now, I did have an interesting thing that uh, this doesn't have anything to do with trapping, but it's just a, one of those weird human interactions you have with different people in different cultures. So very few people in Puerto Lavarta actually spoke English. So I had to get a, a weekly gym membership with neither one of us speaking the same language. And... When I went to start working out, I couldn't have my bag, which I have different things in my bag, but I had to rent a locker. Well, not really rent. I just had to uh, give them my ID. They give me a key. When I give the key back, they give the ID, IV back. Well, air conditioning in Mexico and air conditioning in the States is very different because there's about 80 degrees down there. So inside the gym, it's probably 90, 92, 93 degrees. It's hot. Well, I walk up with where all the machines and the free weights are, and this little, well, for Mexican, he wasn't little. This smaller guy in very good shape runs up to me in a very loud, boisterous voice. And I don't know what he was saying exactly, but I could tell that he was chewing my butt. And I'm looking around trying to figure out what is this dude so upset about? And eventually between him pointing and pointing and pointing, I figured out, okay, they've got a rule here. Besides, I had to wear a mask to lift weights, which I've never had to do and I never want to do again. You can't wear flip-flops. Well, I'm, I'm going, it's hot. I, you know, I want to get as naked as possible. So I'm sitting there and it came down that you could not lift weights in this gym while wearing flip-flops it's i don't know if it was a COVID thing i don't know if it was just a cultural thing i don't know what it was so i'm sitting there and i and i took a 20 minute uber to get to this place i don't want to take a 20 minute uber back and a 20 minute uber back to the gym and it's in a mall so i'm like i'm gonna go find shoes and i went to a store and the first guy that was in the shoe department just refused to help me he wouldn't even get off his chair. He didn't care. It was the weirdest service I've ever seen. Well, I went to another store, and this, this guy was trying to help, and they only had two size 13 shoes in the whole store. And anyway, I bought a pair of Adidas that I didn't need 
just so I could work out. So I go back in and I could tell the trainer it upset him because in his mind he ran out the gringo and it upset him that I was back so quick and I had tennis shoes on. So he realized I just went and bought shoes to lift weights and it bothered him. Well, I just ignore him. I'm not upset. I'm just like, well, that, that sucks, but I'm not upset. So then I go and I start lifting weights and he comes up and he's boisterous and he's loud again. And he's pointing to a water bottle I have. Now it's 92 degrees in there. And he's pointing towards these signs. And I realize what the signs are saying, but they're not in English. You're not supposed to have water out there. But every single person in the gym has got water. Some guys have got gallon jugs of water. And I'm sitting here, once I realize what he's saying, I realize now I'm dealing with someone that's on a power trip. Now, I didn't realize I was going to meet this gentleman this fast because when I looked through reviews of the gym, this is kind of like his mode to Americans. So I'm looking around. I've got my water bottle. Everybody else has got their water bottle. I went and bought shoes. I'm wearing a mask. It's 92 degrees. I just want to lift weights, get some blood movement. And I look around and I just look at him and I go, no. Now he understood that word. No. And he kind of like set back a little bit. And I pointed towards their water bottle and their water bottle and their water bottle and their water bottle. And then I, I kind of did open hands to my water bottle. So basically it was like, no, take your crap somewhere else. And he stormed off. Then about 40 minutes later, keep in mind, I've got a mask on and it's 92 degrees and I'm, I'm lifting pretty, pretty serious and I'm, and I can't breathe in the mask. He runs up to me loud again. People are looking. He's just trying to make me uncomfortable and he's telling me I got to pull my mask above my nose. Now his mask is not above his nose and no one else's mask is above their nose. So there again, I just look at him and go, no, I don't holler. I don't get upset. I don't, you know, like bow up. It's just no. And again, he's frustrated because then I point towards his nose and I point towards five or six other people's nose, And I just kind of like take my hand, like get the fuck away from me. And he, he's trying to figure out exactly what to do. Well, the girl that took my ID card saw him doing this for the third time and come over and chewed his butt up one side and down the other. So he's fuming. And I'm going, there is going to be an issue here. Well, the rest of the, for like two days, he couldn't come up with something to say, but you could tell everything I did, he was just like standing off in the corner like a cat ready to pounce on a mouse. Well, I was in there one day and I guess it was his lunch break and he had his friends and they were bench pressing. Like I said, I don't judge anybody in a gym by the weights that they lift because people lift for different reasons. Uh, the different strengths, they don't know how long they've been lifted. You don't, you don't know if they were injured. You don't know anything. But all of his friends and him work up to about 225, and they're struggling to get six or eight reps. So, and he and, the, and he, he keeps looking back in this, that, and the other, and he's all pumped up with blood, and he's full of adrenaline. And then um, he kind of like walks over and back, kind of almost like in a, yeah, you, you, I'm the man type thing. And I'm like thinking in my brain, this is freaking ridiculous. I paid a lot of money just for a week there because I was American. They charged me $48 to go to the gym for five days was $50. It's $10 a day. I'm starting to get a little upset, but I don't show it because that's not what, that's not how I think a real man should be. You should be calm and collective. But when he got off his lunch break, he put back on his little blue shirt that they all wear with their little name tags and this, that, and the other. And being a trainer, 
they help people spot and they help people do this and, and everything else. When I realized he was back on the clock, I decided it was time for me to bench. And I really wasn't going to bench on this trip. This was just vacation. So I get under there and I warm up and I warm up and I warm up. When I get to 275, which was more than any of them were lifting, I asked him for a spot. And he's kind of sneering as he gets behind. I don't need him as a spotter. Then I jump up to 315. Then I jump to 350. Then I jump up to 375. And I have a rule. I don't bench above 350. But I just wanted him to realize sometimes you just need to leave people alone because you don't know who you're dealing with or what 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 they are capable of. When I got done benching 375, his whole demeanor changed. Not because I threw a fit, but because I didn't throw a fit and I showed him that I probably could throw a fit. And he did not mess with me for the rest of the week. That was a crazy experience. I'm telling you, that was a crazy experience. I wish I'd have had the whole thing on video. The other things in Mexico that was interesting, if you ever get to go down there, guys, and you're buying medication here and it's costing you a good bit of money because of your insurance, go down there with a list. You can buy everything across the counter. I bought ivermectin. I can't get it here. We have bought penicillin before. We have bought meloxicam for my wife. Um, you can buy painkillers with codeine if you, I mean, right across the counter. It's insane. You want Viagra? It's cheap. You you want uh, Cialis uh, for, for blood pressure? It's cheap. And there's no prescriptions, apparently. Whatever you can relay to the person behind the counter, they just go get it and you pay for it. And the ivermectin that we bought was much cheaper. Like 20% of the cost of it cost to get here at a pharmacy when you could get it. Of course, now the FDA pretty much thinks that's the devil's medicine, so you can't get it. But So if you ever find yourself going to Mexico and you take medication, whatever it is, because the, the ivermectin that we bought is from Merck. It's the same ivermectin that we bought here. It's not like it's, it's some generic something, some Mexican mate. No, it's, it's the same. Same packaging, same drugs, same uh, dosage, same everything. So if you find yourself or you know someone that's going to Mexico, and I can only imagine, guys, for, for the guys out there that are on insulin, and if your insurance is not covering that, I bet insulin down there is dirt cheap. I didn't look into it because I don't use insulin, but I guarantee you, you might be able to save thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars, and it may be worth a trip once a year just to go down there, take a vacation, and get your medication and bring it back. Because with all the stuff that my wife had with her stem cells, she came back with growth hormone, which you, I mean, you got to have like super prescriptions to get. She came back with a whole volley of stuff that the doctor wanted her taking to make sure that all this stuff stayed correct so her stem cells have a chance to work. And when we came through both customs, in America and going through Mexico, no one cared how many pills or what they were in our bag. It, I, I knew we were going to get pulled over. I just knew that that, that was going to cause issues trying to take that through customs back in America because, I mean, how do they know it's not oxycodone and fentanyl and, uh, I don't know, whatever other drugs you can take that you're not supposed to have that's in pill form? Yeah, or what was in those vials of the growth hormone for her? Just keep that in mind. All right, let's, let's get back to uh, the beaver. When I first started trapping beaver, I was pretty much a body grip guy that didn't know a whole lot. So 
when I first really started getting after beaver, it was very, I was very consistent in what I did. I found all the dams that I could find and I put body grips and I learned to put them on the downstream side of the dam, not the upstream side, but the downstream side. And I learned if I camouflage those, my catch went up. I just kind of hit them a little bit. Now, you don't have to camouflage them, but you'll have certain beaver that will just reject it. But I learned if I camouflage them, I catch more beaver. Not getting crazy, but I would definitely catch more beaver. And the other thing I was doing when I first started was any slide that looked active, I pretty much just put a body grip in front of it and threw lure up on the bank, or I would make a caster mound set. And actually, when I first started, I thought the caster mound was uh, some type of, you know, special juju that you had to have for beaver because that's what all the books and stuff were showing. As you pull up the stuff from the bottom, you make a pile, you put your lure on top. And the beaver would see the caster, and they would come up, and they would smell the lure, and they would get caught. That's really all I did for, I bet, three years, four years. You know, we, I could find enough beaver dams, and I would set every single beaver dam I came across. I learned over time that uh, a lot of beaver dams will have more than one crossing, and they're not as obvious. So, you know, one thing that I think is important for guys to learn is you go up to a beaver, a beaver dam, before you get in the water, stand up on the bank and look at it. And if you've got polarized glasses, or if you don't have polarized glasses, you need to get polarized glasses. Because if you look at the active the the crossover on a beaver dam with polarized glasses and the water has any clarity at all it stands out like a sore thumb not even looking at the actual crossover itself you can see that the way that the silt is different you can see on the bottom side how the silt's definitely pushed out and it'll look like a trail underwater going from top to bottom well, because I wear polarized glasses for fishing and everything else, when I started using those beaver trapping, I started noticing something that I never noticed before. And that was a lot of times you've got, even on smaller dams, you'll have beaver, dam, uh, beaver crossovers that aren't as obvious. And if you don't pay attention, you don't notice them. It's easier with the glasses. But when you start setting both of those up, it really jumps your catch up. And what I've noticed is a lot of times the bigger beaver, the bigger adult beaver are the ones that use the lesser trails. And the younger beaver are the one that just goes over the middle, and, you know, and, and I mean, you can see it if you're half blind type crossover. But that's really all I did for several years. And, and I was catching... So, you know, between when I got a little more serious about it, just doing that pretty much 100 to 200 beaver in a season. You know, and this is not like Louisiana or Mississippi or Arkansas. This was in the eastern mountains of Tennessee. So we do have beaver, but we don't have beaver like other places I've been, like I've seen in South Georgia and Alabama when I was a kid. And, you know, even Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee's not that population of beaver. But even though the population was lower, setting the crossovers and just setting the slides, it allowed me to catch between 100 to 200 beaver a year. Most years was definitely over 100. And that sounds like a lot. But it's really not. And, and, and here's, here's what I want you to, to grasp when you're looking at numbers for beaver. I'll pull up my calculator so I don't seem like an idiot. 200 beaver divided by 30. 
divided by 3 is 6 beaver a day. No, uh, 200 beaver divided by, that's not right, I don't want to use that. But over a 30-day period is 6 beaver a day. Over a 60-day season, that's 3 beaver a day. And over a 90-day beaver season, that's 2.2 beaver a day. To catch 200 beaver. I, I want you, you to let that sink in. It, it's so when you when people talk about numbers, a lot of times someone that's not caught those numbers, they envision something that's not reality. That every time those people go out, they're catching you know ten, fifteen, twenty beaver at a whack. Well, if that's the case, they'd have two hundred beaver in ten days. Which is definitely doable. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, to, over if you're trapping for 90 days, you know, December, January, and February, you, you probably trap some land stuff early before it gets too muddy or too cold or too frozen. You kick over to the water, depending on where you're at. In a 90-day season, 2.2 beaver a day will yield you 200 beaver. And you may be going, well, what does that mean in reality, even at crazy prices of today? Well, just in fur, which is not all that impressive, say a $6 average is $1,200. If you strip the meat off of those, you're going to get... See, how can I calculate this in my head? Like, the average price for a five-gallon bucket of beaver meat is about 40 bucks. So that's going to be about 50 pounds. You're going to get about 12 pounds for beaver. So 200 times 12 equals... So that would be... Yeah, times 12 is 2,400 pounds of just meat divided by, say, 40 pounds is 60 buckets times, let's say you can only get $35 for it, that's $2,100. So that's an extra $2,100 that most people throw away. And if we look at caster, so let's say you're going to get uh, an average, a realistic average here. I don't want to blow this up. A realistic average of, say, two ounces of dried caster. is 100 ounces divided by 16, 6.2 times, what's the price now? For, for good caster, let's, let's go, I don't know exactly what it is right now, but let's just say $75. That's $468 in that. So those beaver that you only gotta catch two a day of, over a 90-day season, you can still catch other stuff. You're talking plus, what was that, $2,200? $1,200 in fur, I think what it was. That's almost four grand and in very low prices. Years that, it, that it's more, 200 beaver can bring really good money. So that's what 200 beaver means today, is selling Hatter beaver at Hatter prices. 
so that that's you know that's that's because most people just are going to do the castor or they're going to do the fur they're not going to think about the meat and then you can get crazy with skulls and tails and if you find markets for that and and all that type stuff and i can tell you guys if you've never had it and you don't like cow liver you need to try beaver liver it's huge after you skin and debone you just kind of of uh, open the stomach up and the liver in a beaver is is dang near as big big as a calf and you cut it out get the spleen and everything off of it wash it off really good cut it in about quarter inch pieces and if you just put some salt, pepper, flour, and garlic salt on that and only cook it for like two and a half minutes per side, it's not anything like beef liver. It's heaven. And super, super healthy for you. So, for the like I said, for how simple is that to catch 200 beaver a year off of basically two sets? So we don't need to complicate stuff until you start becoming either you you find more ways to get on more beaver with with a simple system like crossovers and slides. Then you you start getting into uh, lured sets and different things. Now I can tell you my style of beaver trapping radically changed. When I started otter trapping, back when the first time that otters got up to 80 to 120, now uh, this was this was back in the I want to say late 90s. They jumped up from 20 to 40. Um, that got a bunch of guys' attention because the fur prices back then were really low. So they jumped up to 40 and guys kind of got interested. But the market for it got really hot for otter. And they jumped up to, like I said, 80 to 100 to 120, depending on color, size, if it was singed, all that type stuff. And the way that I was trapping otter was the way that I learned to trap otter from uh, a video from the guy from North Carolina, Claudie Taylor, from this video from North Carolina. And basically, he was blocking down smaller creeks, crossovers, stuff like that. But he was blind setting for beaver, I mean for, for otter. He would put his traps underwater. He would camouflage around the trap underwater and he would use dive sticks and he would just block these down well this was about the time like i said that the auto prices got high and i went to louisiana for the first time because everybody's saying there's a bunch of otter in louisiana which there is so i go down there and i'm thinking of this video and i'm trapping beaver for a parish and it was actually franklin parish uh, outside of winsboro louisiana and I get on uh, as a, uh, a bounty trapper per tail. When I first got there, I'm doing my normal stuff. Uh, but then I'm also setting in otter traps. Well, what I noticed, the more otter style sets that I made, I was actually outproducing the slides. You know, you still catch otter on crossovers, but you, otters cross dams a little different than beaver do. So I'd set the crossover up for beaver, and I would set the crossover up for otter. Otter's a different show. And I would block up as many creeks any way possible. I use fences. I use brush. I've got uh, uh, pictures in my beaver book where I was using... Uh, or videos where I'm using uh, washing machines and freezers that people threw in the creek and shopping carts. Anything that I could use to guide an otter, which was my goal down, uh, to catch them, my beaver catch went sky high to the point where they had to, I bankrupted that parish the first year twice 
So when I went down there, I think they had like, I don't know, fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars in the account. Um, before I left, they had to reef they had to come up with money two more times because I went through that so fast. And a lot of that was to do with the way I was otter trapping because they were bringing a hundred bucks and the beaver tails were bringing, if I'm not mistaken, it was 30, but it could have been 25, but I think it was 30. And then I pretty much just quit beaver trapping in my, I mean, quit, yeah, I quit beaver, beaver trapping. Like I was thinking about beaver concentrated on the otter and I was averaging close to 12, 15 beaver a day and really not even setting beaver traps. Now there's things that went on in certain areas where, uh, like I got on the river one time and I caught like close to 40 beaver in one night, which I was not prepared for. There was things where I did just go beaver trapping, but for the most part it was otter trapping and I was catching the beaver. Then me and Ed Blue went down to Mississippi and auto prices at this time, we thought were around the 120 mark, and we actually, some of those were over 200. They were really big silver otter. And we were using circle triggers and stuff for the otter, and we didn't set a single beaver trap, and we averaged, I know on that, that was averaging, I think, 18 beaver a day and never set a beaver trap. How were we doing that, not setting beaver traps? We were blocking up creeks just like we would for otter. So now, in my mind, when I think about setting body grips for beaver, it's in an otter fashion, not a beaver fashion. And when I watch people beaver trap a lot of times, they're looking at it from a more classical beaver way, you know, the, the Charles Dobbins way uh, of, of, of doing it, which is awesome. But if you see me beaver trap now, if I have the chance, I'm going to blind set before I use any lure. And I will be able to take a lot of the, the beaver without spending energy making classic beaver sets. It's a it's a fast way to go when you get a hang of it. You get your stands and your chains and your um, T-bars. I was using uh, the, the big bear traps a lot. I was I actually cut down a bunch of traps, the savages that I had and made them two feet long with the killer bars and and all this type stuff. But I was blind setting. I was blocking creeks. I would you can in most creeks, you can look at and you can see how the animals are going to move down through there. And they don't have to be the perfect block, like someone probably thinks they are. They have to be close enough. A lot of times, beaver will hug the bank coming upstream. A lot of times they'll be in the middle going downstream. So if there's any structure on the sides, especially up and down banks with any structure, and I can put a trap up against the bank or something over there with another piece of structure, as the beaver are coming up the creek, they get smacked. Now down the creek, I'm missing those beaver, but those beaver are probably going to come back upstream. And I, and, I, and I really started paying attention to this, uh, looking at the currents, looking at how the animals move up and down. Uh, there's a, a guy that I've got in my otter video, Montrell Valentine. He's now passed away. And he had this system for beaver snaring in open ditches that was genius. So what he would do is he would he 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 made like kill poles. And he would have instead of just where you can go off one side like a standard kill pole, he would have two little pieces of wire welded to it where he could put a snare on each side. And that old man would get back and he would look down the creek 
and he would just kind of visualize how the beaver would go up or down the creek and he would get right in the middle of it and put this pole some of these were eight feet tall some were four feet tall and you could put two snares on there kind of like you do for under ice you've got one on the left and one on the right so if you're looking at it from the creek side you've got a metal pole in the middle and directly left and right is a snare and he would have about two and a half inches out of the water and the rest of the snare under the water. And then he would go down from that about three feet and he would make a triangle off of the first pole. So he would take his rebar, he would stick it down in that mud. So when you're looking down the creek and your first kill pole, which is in the dead center where you think they're going to be with the two snares left and or one snare left and one snare right, as soon as you would be off of that snare that you set, he would count as like 10 inch loop, then he would put his rebar. So when you're looking down the creek, you would it would look like a wall of snares, but they weren't in a wall, it was, it was in a triangle shape. And each one of these kill poles had a snare left and right. But it would cover, what is that? Uh, 10, 20, 40, it'll cover 60 inches of water. And I guess you could move it on out and have um, even two more on the outside of that. And he was just blind setting. He wasn't using any lure. He was just blind setting with these snares the way the beaver would naturally go. And I went with him several days and every single kill pole have a beaver on it. Some days it was just one. Some days it was none, but a lot of days there would be a beaver on every one of those kill poles. He was triple catching beaver just by using their habit of how they go down a creek. Now in a podcast form, I understand it's hard to, to, to hear that and go, what exactly is he talking about? But if you listen to this a couple of times, I think it'll make sense. So when you're looking down the creek, You've got the middle pole with a snare left and right. And as you're looking down, that other snare is going to be almost touching one of those snares, say on the on the right-hand side. The left-hand side of the other one is going to be touching that in a straight line, but it's going to be two or three feet down from it. So from a beaver going down, all he's going to do is, in the way Montrell explained it, Beaver's coming down this way anyway. He's not going to run his head into that rebar. So he's just going to veer off to the side. Lo and behold, there's a snare there. Wham, you got him. But that was uh, like the most advanced way of blind setting with snares in an open water with no structure I've ever seen in my life. And if you've got a bend and a deep side and a shallow side, well, you know they're probably going to be on the deeper side, so that's what you'd focus on. And he would use that over and over and over again. And he and he caught thousands of beaver sometimes in a single year. He had other sets, but that was one that he definitely used a lot of. So that's blind setting beaver. If you if you if you have your your glasses like I'm talking about, well they're polarized. You can see in the water at all. Before you ever get in the water, take just a few seconds and look. The runs stand out like a sore thumb. So you can just put your your trap in the run, then put a dive pole, and you got your beaver. I mean. It, Beaver trapping is one of those things that it can, uh, the detail at a certain point can seem complicated. But it's really not, and you don't need to go that far. You just need to set it where the beaver's going to go. You know, and it's kind of like the smart aleck thing where, you know, where do you put a trap, where the coyote's going to step. I mean, I understand it's a smart aleck thing to say. But with beaver, it, it's it's literally that easy. Now, when you first start, you're going to have a lot of failure just for the simple reason of blind setting beaver in creeks until you figure out how the beaver actually move up and down. 
So when you make a catch, guys, on a particular location, you had a reason probably to set it there. Once you set it there and you make a catch, you need to study that a little bit closer. So the next time you see a similar situation, you have that in your inventory and go, oh, this is what I do now. See, that, that right there of paying attention to what catches and what doesn't and using more of what does and less of what doesn't is what gives the illusion that someone is way smarter than someone else when it comes to habits of beaver. They just they have paid attention and they have that experience to look at the water and go, well, that's where they're going to go because I've been here and I've done this hundreds of times and it becomes just a process of, of how to go about that. So with your body grips, don't make it complicated. Now, if you go to a state like uh, Louisiana or Mississippi or wherever you go, check your laws. Some states you have to, like Tennessee, the trap just has to be in the water, which means the bottom jaws are all that has to be in the water. You can put a 330 on dry land in Mississippi or Louisiana. I'm talking dry, dry. You've got other states where it's got to be completely submerged, and you've got other states where it's going to be half submerged. So you have to pay attention to where you're at. Now, I've learned with beaver, on I, I can in those states, if I have the option of them going up a slide, I'm not even going to set the trap in the water. I'm going to set it a few inches out of the water. So they're committed when they come out of the water to the trap. And I'm going to, like I talked about camouflage, I'm going to throw some grass and some dirt over the bottom jaws. I'm going to camouflage the thing in. It's just going to look like a tunnel. And they go straight through there. See, that's the simplest way to go about this. If it's legal where you're at. Here in Tennessee, I can put it on the edge. I can actually take a... Uh, a hammer and I can dig in to a slide and still have say an inch of water and I can legally put my trap where it used to be dry and I've got a little bit more control at that point now if you don't have those options because of your state law then you you got to follow those rules I want to talk just a little bit about footholds I'm not going to go crazy on the traps. There are plenty of good beaver traps on the market. Uh, MB750, you've got the TS85. Uh, the, the long springs have kind of fell out of popularity. They're still good beaver traps. Uh, uh, Kendall at NoBS has got what seems to be a really good beaver trap. Um, I think there's some other ones on the market. Uh, I, I use a lot of... Uh, TS 85s I want big when it comes to footholds and the reason is beaver have big back feet so I want to catch them around their ankle not around their toes and on a front foot catch I want to catch them high enough to get above the ankle joint because that's the easiest place to for uh, to get in trouble with a foot of a beaver. Just think about how easy it is with a knife to cut around that joint and just snap it off. If you're using shorter traps, you're asking for trouble. Can you catch them in there? Absolutely. I've caught hundreds of beaver in number twos. But you're better off to go bigger. And you want a fairly strong trap. And the reason for that is, is you don't want the beaver, because it is a powerful animal in the water or on land, to be able to go back and forth between those jaws because it's not super strong and cut that skin. Because once you do, now you're asking for more trouble. 
if you're using smaller traps and you're in and you're hitting you're connecting with the back feet think about what it would be like to try to catch a bunch of big northern raccoons in a number one size coal spring only for their back feet there's their their feet are probably covering the entire trap so that that's one of the reasons you want big where you put the trap I hate to say this but it's dependent on what you see when you come up to the set the the and I'm probably going to have some hate on this. When I first started, I was learning from Charles Dobbins and Hal Sullivan and different guys that pretty much were doing the same thing. And I think it all stemmed from Charlie Dobbins, to be honest. And they were really big on back foot catches. And the kind of the general rule of a back foot catch is probably 18 inches back anywhere to 12 inches deep so when a beaver comes up to the bank and he pushes off on the bottom you have it offset you're going to be close to where his back feet are at and he's going to get caught or another way that some people do it is 18 inches from the edge 18 to 20 inches from the edge of the bank wherever that lands on the bottom so if it's steeper they're going to be closer and if it's shallower they're going to be more further out i've caught beaver both ways i've absolutely caught beaver both ways over the years i've got away from back foot catches and there's a couple of reasons why and i'm not saying you shouldn't do it but there's a couple of things that's really stood out in my mind that has me questioning going after back foot catches of beaver. One is the night footage that I did on Teachers of the Night. I was dumbfounded to see four and five beaver go up to a lured set and be on top of the trap in eight inches of water or six inches of water and never snap the trap off. Never. And then just one unlucky beaver comes up and the first step he makes, he gets caught by the back foot. All I could see was not the catch. Why in the world were there so many misses for a back foot catch in not that deep of water? And that really, really, guys, that bothered me. Because all I could do is think about probably the 2,000 sets or more that I put out for back foot catches and how many beaver I didn't catch because it happened just like I saw repeatedly on video. And what I came to in my mind, which could be wrong, but it, it makes sense to me is a beaver, it floats. Now we, we understand that because we can see them swimming. It's not a rock and it floats. So when I'm watching these beaver right over the trap and you can tell everything was lined up the way it was supposed to be, there was enough flotation on that beaver into six, eight inches of water that there wasn't enough pressure to fire the trap. And I wasn't using heavy, heavy pan tension. They just weren't firing the trap. And I was, and it, and it drove me insane. The other thing that happens when, when you watch uh, trail cam footage of beaver and you see how they go down slides If the beaver's coming down a slide, because they don't go up and down the same slide all the time. A lot of times they'll go up, especially on a lured set, not on the slide because they smell your lure off the slide. We talked about that last week with a lure, or two weeks ago. 
So they go up to your set, and they come back down the, the slide. You've set up for a back foot catch. They're coming off head first. They're nowhere close to hitting the bottom at six inches. It, it, think about what it's like for you to, to have like a float on a river and you push off from the bank. That's what the beaver looks like. He just pushes off. He doesn't, his body doesn't sink to the bottom. He just pushes off. So there's no way you're catching that beaver. There's no way. Now there's some weird things that happen with beaver. If you want to see weird stuff, beaver will show you weird stuff. Because sometimes you'll catch a beaver by the front foot in 12 inches of water. Sometimes you can see the tracks and catch a beaver by the back foot in 12 inches of water and they're going down the slide. But just watching so much of that footage, I'm like, is that the best way to go about with a foothold trap? I know it's the standard. I know that's what's been written about. That's what's been shown in demos. That's what's won all the DVDs. But is that the best way to connect with a beaver? That's a traditional way, but is it the best way? So with footholds over time, I got to where I only set them for front foot catches. I still use a big enough trap to get it above that first joint above their foot. I want to catch them if I can slap up in the armpit. So I'd use a little more pan tension now than I used to because I want them to be in the trap when it fires. And I can set it shallow enough that they're almost like a land animal at that point and a 50 pound beaver puts a lot of pressure when he's walking. So regardless if the beaver is coming up or down the slide, in my opinion, which isn't worth much, I think it gives you a higher percentage of catches. The more shallow I can get that trap, the better the results are that I had using footholds, where it got way more consistent. So on steeper banks, I would actually dig into the bank a little bit try to straighten it all back out so it looks somewhat natural, slick it all back up. But I would want to have a shelf that the, the beaver would have to have his front foot up on or when he's coming off, his front feet's going to be down to stop him if he hits anything, which would put him right back on the trap. So on a steeper bank, I had more work to do than setting for a back foot. But my catch went up. On shallower banks, I get giddy now when I see beaver going up shallower banks to go work somewhere, go get cut down trees or whatever they're doing. Because now I can treat them like a coyote. Because they do have four legs and they do walk. And they're more controllable when they're on four legs and they are buoyant in the water. And this is, this is just all my theories, guys. It's, it's just, there's a lot of proof behind it, but it's still just my theories. So if I've got a shallower bank, and I can manipulate that in any way, I want to have them walk four, five, six inches in water that's as shallow as I can make it half inch, quarter inch, one inch, two inch. And then I want to treat it just like a coyote trap and I want to offset it to the left or right. And I want to dig out a trap bed that's going to countersink that trap probably a half to one inch below the trail. But it's still going to have water over it. So when the beaver comes up, he's going to hit the shelf. He's going to pull himself up, which is what they do. And he's going to start walking and climbing up that thing. Now, when he, after he takes two or three steps, whether I've got it on the left or right side is irrelevant because when he goes to take that step, it's not going to be solid. And they don't know that. 
So now all his body weight is going to go down that half inch to an inch. And it's going to be on top of the trap. So I've got a better catch, a deeper catch on the beaver with a foothold trap. So kind of think of this without water. We're going to be on flat land. And I want you to take a hammer and scrape out a little trail. Then I want you to dig a trap bed like you would for a coyote, but you're not going to put dirt and stuff back in there. And you're going to countersink that trap right there. So when the animal's walking with water in that, he's just going to be going down the trail like a coyote is or a coon is for a blind set. And when he steps off in that, now he's got more weight because now it's uneven. Think about when you step in a hole or something like that, all your body weight goes that direction. He's going to go down. I've got more pan tension. I've probably got about two pounds, three pounds of pan tension on that trap. So when it fires, he's at base plate. And I can use the full height of that jaw to catch him by the front foot. I've used um, like roots for them to crawl over and fall down into the trap. I've used rocks, logs, you know, like big logs, but just three or four inches. Something where it's going to cause them to go down onto that trap. Now there's something that I'm going to, I'm going to end with this today. I wish that I would have had back when I was doing so much beaver work. Now, this is where someone that traps a lot sees a problem and fixes it. Jeff Dunlap has got a stand that you can push into the side of a bank on a steep bank and put your trap just a couple inches underwater. So it's actually parallel it pushes in the bank. It's got two stakes that you can slide the trap on. So you're pushing that into the bank. And the water can be six, eight feet deep. It's irrelevant. And you push that trap in and you offset it. So when the beaver comes up to the bank and he goes to put his feet down to push off and grab a hold of stuff, he's right on top of the pan. It's... I can't believe that I didn't think about that because it makes so much sense when I saw Jeff show me this. And I don't know, I, I know you do you use coal springs. I don't know about long springs, but coal springs, they, they work, beaver size, they're designed for that. So no matter how, <coughs> how steep the bank is, I can still go for the front foot and, and catch that beaver. The other thing you can do with his stand, which is mind blowing, as you can set it up off of the bottom in current and the beaver will still get caught in the trap because as he's going down, he's going to hit the thing and crawl over it. When he crawls over it, guess what's waiting on top? The pan. And he gets caught. That's a totally different style, I believe, than the one that goes in the side. The, the one has posts to go straight down. One's got posts to go straight out. So you'll need to know which one you want to use. But if you've got a lot of steep banks and slides and you're having issues with missing beaver, I would get a half a dozen to a dozen of these stands. You're probably going to have a lot more before it's over with. But start off, get a, get a half dozen or a dozen. I know Jeff has them at conventions. I don't know if they're sold anywhere. Like in the winter, you may have to call him or get on the, you know, find his website. or I, I don't know exactly how all that's working. But that is one of those game changers for steep banks with beaver to still catch a front foot. And if a beaver comes off the slide, head first going into the water, he's slamming into that trap. And you've got a really good chance to catch him. So what I've talked about today, I'm trying to keep this basic information about beaver trapping stuff that i observed over time now we're going to talk more about uh 
some footholds and different things like that. And we're going to talk about snares next week with beaver, and then we'll move on to something else. But if, if you're into beaver trapping or you want to get into beaver, just keep in mind, if you'll set slides and you will set crossovers, you will catch beaver. And if you get to the point where you're comfortable to start blind setting a lot more, I have a feeling you're going to catch more beaver. And when you go to footholes, if you don't trust the front foot thing, run 50% of your traps for back feet and 50% of your traps for front feet and let the results guide what you need to do. Now, there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve going for front feet. But I have a feeling if you will start going for more front foot instead of back foot, you're going to see better results on your traps. And that's the goal of beaver trapping. So I hope this has helped somebody out there. And I hope it's got some people thinking maybe some different things like beaver being buoyant, because for some reason that never entered my mind that it helps you go catch more beaver. And I will talk to y'all next week.